Hello and welcome to Thingamajigs, the exciting history of mundane things. My name is Ben, but two days after having a cold. And I am Danielle, perfectly healthy, because my immune system works harder than yours. Well, my immune system is busy. Doing what? That's its whole job. Well, I lick a lot of doorknobs in my spare time. Maybe don't do that anymore. Maybe, Maybe don't tell me how to live my life. How many how many pairs of jeans do you own, Ben? Uh, give or take a few, maybe 342. Mm, that's a little high considering the average is 7 pairs per American. Hmm. They should probably step up their jean game, I guess. I mean, that's not my fault. Also, where are you keeping all of these jeans? <laughs> I'm not saying that I have a second house where I deposit boxes and boxes of jeans, but don't look in the filing cabinet at the folder marked deed to second house where I put boxes and boxes of jeans. My guy, if you are hiding a house from me, I am going to be royally pissed. We're going to talk about jeans. Tell me about jeans. What's their whole thing? Well, the birth of jeans was centered around the need for durable workwear. So we're not quite sure where the fabric came from, but we have three ideas. Dungaree, India, where they were creating a coarse cloth for workers in the 17th century, eventually being called Dungaree, just spelled different. Then there are the Genoans uh, of Italy who had a sail cloth that was fashioned into work pants. In the Nîmes, France, known as Serges de Nîmes. That was really good French. Thank you. It could have been a little more sing-songy, but that was pretty good. Now, not always, but often these cloths were dyed blue, probably to hide the dirt, which we can give that credit to Indigo. Centuries ago, indigo was quite the hot commodity. Everyone wanted some of that sweet blue gold. Indigo is derived from a plant, and one of the interesting things about that process is when the indigo is in that giant vat of hot water, it's actually green, but as it oxidizes, it turns blue, like magic. Magic turns blue when it oxidizes? No, the, the indigo turns blue when it oxidizes, and that is magic. This process of converting indigo from a green leaf to a blue dye was very demanding, and Africans having a long history of working with indigo knew very well how to work the dye and dyeing the clothes, but unfortunately, that knowledge made them even more valuable in the slave trade, which was not cool. I mean, it was cool that they knew how to do it. Trading slaves, not cool. Knock it off. I don't want to get too deep into indigo and various dyes, but I thought that it was important to mention. It's a long rabbit hole. You can fall down it if you want. Maybe we'll talk about dyes another time. So we combined all of the possibilities we mentioned, Dungaree, Genoans, Serge Denims, and the blue from the indigo, and got what we know today as denim blue jeans. Yeah. So fast forward to 1847 when Levi Strauss from Bavaria immigrated to the United States to join his brother who had started a wholesale dry goods business in New York. New York, the city of brotherly love. No, dear, that's Philadelphia. New York, the sunshine state. I 
think that's Florida. Try again. New York, we've got the meats. Okay, that's a popular fast food chain Arby's. You're uh, you're getting colder. Try again. New York square pants. All right, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> quit. That cold medicine's kicking in. The family decided to open a West Coast branch, so in 1854, he moved to San Francisco. This was just in the time for the gold rush that was happening in California. He named his company Levi Strauss and Company. Clever. I like it. He would import goods like clothes, bedding, handkerchiefs, heavy fabrics, you know, stuff like that, from his brother's business in New York. Now, pause there. Let's talk about Jacob. I am paused. He was born Jacob Yofus, and he was a Jewish Latvian that immigrated to the U.S. as a young man in 1854, where he changed his name to Jacob Davis. Now, he did a lot in the time between arriving and meeting Levi. To give a quick rundown, he started out as a tailor, and then he left California to move to Western Canada, where he met his German wife, Annie. He stopped the tailoring gig and panned for gold a while. I guess that didn't work out for him because he then took his wife and kids back to San Francisco. And then he moved again to Virginia City, Nevada, where he sold tobacco and pork. And then he dabbled in tailoring again. Then he moved his family again to Reno, Nevada, where he helped this guy, Frederick, build a brewery. Finally, he reverted to his original trade and opened a tailor shop in town. The man has hustle. Gotta give it to him. He was just trying to find something to stick, man. You gotta make that scratch. He's on that Sigma male grind set. So he made things like tents, horse blankets, wagon covers, stuff like that. He used heavy-duty cotton duck cloth and cotton denim. And can you guess where he ordered his materials from? Chinese factories. No. Oh. Although he probably could have saved some money. Would have taken years for the materials to arrive. You just have to order all of your stuff 10 years in advance. So you got to put in your order in 1854 for things in 1864. It's cool. It's like buying futures, but you're just trying to make a pair of pants. No, he ordered from Levi Strauss and Company in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Much closer so, than China. So these two stories are converging. I thought we were just uh, trying to tell two stories at the same time. Oh, no. Oh, no. These two men go down in history together. They go down on each other. So the legend goes, in 1870, a wife of a miner or maybe a woodsman came to our boy Jacob and said, Hey, my husband's muscles are just too strong for his pants. They keep ripping off his sexy working man body. Can you help me? And he said, Well, of course, madam. We can't have your husband running around with suggestive holes in his pants. And so he set off to rid the world of inappropriately hold pants on objectively sexy lumberjacks. Uh, I don't think that's exactly how that went. You might have been reading the fanfic version of that story. From what I read, he was approached by a lady who said, Yo, my husband's pants are ripped, and he's at home, and he can't leave because he doesn't have any more pants. Please help. My dog, my homie. G. What's up? What's up? Um, His name starts with a J. My homie J, Baby J. They call him Baby J on these streets. Are we going to get sued by... Yes, we're going to get sued by John Mulaney now. 
so he made the he made the pants for the guy, um, and they were sitting there on his little workbench, and he happened to have some rivets on his little workbench there from making some horse blankets, and he was like, "Whoa, brain blast!" Now we're gonna get sued by Jimmy Neutron. Yes, Jimmy Neutron himself is gonna serve us with a cease and desist. Oh, I would hang that on the wall. It's an email, but. I would print that email out and hang it on the wall. Okay. Anyway, yeah, he put uh, he put rivets in the pants. That's the story. And she said, thanks, thug, you a real one. I figured I'd put my twist on it, but I, I guess you just prefer your twist of history better. Yeah. Also... I mean, that's word for word verbatim. It was in a, it was in a court case. Okay, I read that court case too, and it didn't have any of those words in it. It was boring, and that's why I said what I said. (laughs) Anyway, so he got to work on the special order and combined his knowledge of tailoring and his work with sturdy structured materials for horse blankets, like you said, and constructed his riveted jeans. They had metal rivets strategically placed on the pockets and zippers, Ayo for them crotches that can't be held back. Not with the kind of gathering effect that my zipper has. Callback. Now, this did not take long to become popular amongst the people, and of course he wanted to patent it immediately, but he still didn't have the money to do it himself, so he took on a partner, Levi Strauss. He conveyed this with a quick correspondence that I am going to do my best now to read exactly as written. The secrets of them pence is the rivets that I put in those pocots. I cannot make them up fast enough. My nabbers are getting jealous of these success. That is verbatim. He was a hustler and a wordsmith. Is there anything he cannot do? With Strauss's money, they were able to successfully apply for a patent on their riveted pants in 1873 and began producing the pants on a mass scale. Shortly afterward, Levi implemented the recognizable small leather patch featuring (laughs) two horses trying to pull apart a pair of jeans, really signifying how strong they were. That's good. I like that. I like that marketing. I read that it was a marketing ploy to help the people who were illiterate. They they couldn't read, and so they were able to go and ask the shopkeepers, hey, I want the jeans with the two horses on it. If that's true, that's, that's pretty smart. He, he knew his demographic. I also read it was the first label to be placed on the outside of clothes, but uh, again, I'm not sure that that's true. Interesting for sure, if it is. But at the same time, jeans were known as overalls, even though they were just pants. I don't know, man. Also, that tiny pocket that no one knows what to do with on the the front pocket was designed for a pocket watch. I find it interesting that he knew they couldn't read, but he automatically assumed that they could absolutely read an analog clock. Yeah, he was probably marketing that for, like, the foreman. Of the workers, you know. Someone had to have a clock, I guess. Yeah, he has to keep them all on track. Or maybe he just assumed because he was so out of touch that everybody just walked around carrying a watch. But you could also put your weed in there instead of a clock. As time evolves, the usage of pockets change. (laughs) Nevertheless, it makes a riveting story. Ha. 
There was a fun story about the Nevada jeans. It was a pair of jeans, nicknamed that because it was one of the earliest designs from Strauss and Davis that was found at the bottom of a mine shaft in 1998. These jeans dated back to 1879. Some old pants. In 2001, the Nevada jeans was put up for sale on eBay. The bidding was fierce, and there was even a rumor that Ralph Lauren was amongst the bidders. But I don't know who won with the winning bid of 87400 something dollars. It's a pricey pair of trousers. Those same pair of jeans would have sold in their own time of 1879 for 99 cents. Which, granted, that would be $30 in today's money, but still... <laughs> It's a pretty good price. I've paid a lot more for jeans before. One time, I got some Carhartt pants that were on sale for like $30. It was like clearance, half off $30. They were very nice. When I worked in construction, I wore those bad boys and best pants ever. So Strauss set up a sizable tailor shop in San Francisco for the production of Davis's work pants and Jacob Davis and his family moved back to San Francisco so that he could run the shop, which eventually turned into a manufacturing plant, which I think is nice that he finally got to do his final move. He ended up in San Francisco anyway. Funny enough, Levi was at least never seen wearing his own jeans. It was stated that he never wore his own jeans, but I feel like it's a more accurate statement to say he was at least never seen. Uh, he was a wealthy businessman, and jeans were for poor workers. Levi Strauss died in 1902, and Jacob Davis died in 1908. Levi's estate was worth about $30 million, which would be just over $1 billion today. He was the Steve Jobs of his time. The company was always under Levi's name, and I do wonder if that was ever a source of contention, or if Jacob was just okay with that. He probably made a little bit of money, right? I would think so, because he, mean, he was the highest up in that work plant warehouse thing. I would think that he made a lot of money, but I only ever saw generational wealth under Levi's name. If he didn't know then, he'd probably be happy to know that his name lives on as the father of our modern genes. Remember how we were talking about how Americans don't really have any culture? We don't have any culture to appropriate, so we just appropriate everybody else's. Genes. Genes are quintessentially American. Go us. Got genes. It's the only thing we got, but... Hey, it's something. That's not true. We have Kraft Mac and Cheese. I guess maybe hot dogs, too. All of our things kind of suck. Yeah, we've got hot dogs. Like how in some countries they have American-style pizza where they just, like, stick whole hot dogs on the pizza. That's what they think of us. And I'm not going to lie, it's probably delicious, and I want one. So in the 1940s, American soldiers brought their jeans with them overseas, and although the production of denim workwear went down due to the same reason every production at the time went down, material shortages. The end of the war marked a change in jeans perception associated less with durable work pants and more closely relating to leisure wear. In the 1950s, jeans began gaining a reputation for youth rebellion. 
Movies starring James Dean like Rebel Without a Cause, naturally everyone wanted to emulate that. At the time, people associated James with rough motorcyclists, which was obviously unacceptable, and those people were going straight to hell. So they were dressing like uh, outlaws by putting on a pair of jeans, and that was, that was how they rebelled. So wholesome. Such a wholesome form of rebellion. Ah, the 50s. In the 1960s, it was becoming synonymous with individuality and self-expression, which we know is very dangerous for young people to be forming ideas and opinions of their own. It didn't help that college students wore them to protest the Vietnam War. People didn't like that. Old people didn't like that. Old people don't like anything. The 1970s was a time of sexual liberation, especially for women. Woo! I don't think it was the jeans that were especially sexy as much as the new confidence that we were feeling. 1980s saw the subcultures really grabbing hold and implementing denim into punk and grunge and rock. New styles like acid wash, the denim skirt, and ripped jeans make them easier to individualize yourself. Even adding embroidery, jewels, beads, patches... Denim was a blank canvas in which to paint your personality and interests. Nice. What a good era. Although I'm wondering how out of that came the standard outfit for Pentecostal women. Why do they all wear jean skirts? They, they don't. I mean, they have like cotton skirts. And One time I saw a Pentecostal lady dive over a chain-length fence wearing a denim skirt, and those things do not give. I don't know how she made it over, but she was very graceful in the landing. Wow. I'm trying to construct a mental image. I can't really work it out. The 1980s also saw the first designer jeans with Calvin Klein and Armani ushering in the age of premium denim. Adriano Goldschmied recognized as the godfather of premium denim, who ironically stated he only ever wore Levi, introduced the skinny fit, which some designers followed in stride with jeans so tight you had to lay down to zip up. Which I think it's important to mention, uh, never wear your stand-up jeans with your sit-down heels. That's a thing. You've got heels that you have to sit down in and jeans that you have to stand up in, and those cannot be worn in the same outfit. Now you just have to slide the jeans over the top. Over the top of what? Your body. You take them, you, you undo them, and you slide them up. I don't... I don't think you're grasping how tight these jeans were. By the 1990s, we moved away from the skin tight and embraced the baggy, I don't care, I just picked these up out of my weird Uncle Henry's dirty hamper, and I happen to look fabulous. Thanks, Unc. From there, we see the figurative rise of low-cut jeans in the early 2000s that someone thought was a good idea to also invent baby tees with. So you had your waistline dropping and your shirt hem rising. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. It probably was a man. It was a man's idea. Thinking about Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne, yes. She is probably the first mental picture. That comes up when I think of low-cut jeans with a baby tee. It's a good look. And then, thank God, the literal rise of high-waisted skinny jeans. Boo. And I believe now we are back to somewhat baggy boyfriend jeans, which are popular. 
I don't think mom jeans ever looked good. I think they're objectively bad. It's funny that you mentioned mom jeans. Uh, I have a couple of weird slash maybe fun facts. And my first one is nine inches was the length of the zipper on mom jeans. Nine inches. What do you need all that for? Doesn't make any sense. They're objectively bad. No, I want to cover my belly button. Why? That's what your shirt's for. Wear a denim jacket like everyone else. No, I want to cover my belly button and then wear a crop top. It works. Why would you want to do that? Why don't you make them even higher? Just cover your whole body and then put on a hat. (laughs) That is what we would call modern overalls, which I think are also popular now. Oh, yeah. You, You can't be fun and quirky and different unless you walk around with overalls i like that you can wear overalls and then have like a really fun t-shirt under it with like a fun pattern maybe like giraffe print or bedazzle that or i don't know something loud it's one of those things where they're going for that i don't care what i look like look but also, they have to sacrifice all of the convenience of just wearing a shirt and pants to prove that they don't care what they look like. And that was the 90s. So, the tagline for Mom Jeans was, Give her something that says, I'm not a woman anymore, I'm a mom. Which I find to be a bananas offensive statement to moms. That is terrible, terrible marketing. George W. Bush apparently banned jeans from the White House six days after his inauguration. Something about the Clintons popular popularizing it and him not being a fan of that? I don't know. I thought it was a weird thing for a president to be worried about. Elvis Presley had a line of jeans named after him when Levi created black Elvis Presley jeans. Which is weird because he was known to not like jeans all that much because they reminded him of what his family wore at their poorest. Was Levi secretly throwing shade at Elvis? No, they were probably throwing him a ton of money. Oh. People would order their jeans approximately three inches too long because the fabric would shrink, but until then they would cuff the legs and use the folds to store tobacco. Or weed. Why are you looking for so many ways to store weed in your jeans? Because it's like, oh, what's in that pocket? I don't know. It could be anything. It's weed. You smell bad. (laughs) It's probably weed. I mean, okay. Jeans are illegal in North Korea because they are a symbol of American imperialism. There you go. That proves that uh, Americans have culture. Weirdly enough, jeans were also banned in some American schools, again, because of their association with rebellious behavior, which now a, I, a lot of at least southern public schools, you have to wear a uniform, which from what I've seen is like always khaki pants and then some form of a color of a polo, whatever your school colors were. Yeah. That is not as popular in northern public schools. They get to wear whatever they want. I, didn't even... I mean, as long as it's appropriate. I don't think they're allowed to wear excessively revealing things or, you know, T-shirts with bad words and stuff like that. I don't think they're allowed to wear stuff like that. But they can wear regular clothing. Everyone I know went to the same school in my hometown, so I didn't even know that 
the uniform thing was widespread. I thought it was just that one school. That's funny. I had the exact opposite memory. I'm, I remember thinking that every school had a uniform. And then, of course, if it was a fancy school, it was plaid. <laughs> and if you went to a public school, it was, you didn't get plaid. I always kind of wanted to go to a private school so that I could wear the plaid skirt and, for some reason, the plaid tie. Why are they wearing ties? I don't know, but I wanted one. I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like a lot of people don't wash their jeans very often. If it's been like a month, maybe you should wash those bad boys. Don't listen to her. Washing your jeans is terrible for them. Never wash your jeans. Just don't get them dirty. Or just do get them dirty and then don't care. See, that's what fashion that says I don't care what I look like actually looks like. Take note, hipsters. But if it's been a month, that's grody. Those jeans are going to stand up on their own. As long as you wash your underwears and don't eat like an animal, your jeans should be fine. I'm not saying that they need to wash them every time they wear them. I'm just saying you should at least wash your jeans 12 times a year. There was a stint of construction that I did where I went a month without having the ability to do laundry and my pants were actually not very dirty afterwards and I was like digging in the dirt and mud. As the person that does most of the laundry, I highly disagree with that statement. I mean they had a nice layer of dirt embedded in them but like they didn't really stink that bad and that's like worst case scenario. You're digging yourself into a dank hole. Oh, you're talking about. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Thingamajigs, the exciting history of mundane things. If you know any more fun facts about jeans, send them in. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Snotty Ben. Can I still just be Danielle? You can be regular Danielle. Cool, I'm regular Danielle. Don't forget to grab a goose and never wash your jeans no no never ever no thanks for listening once a month at least people never go